No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. And I called my family uh, to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello everyone, I am Tim Lawson, host and founder of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast and Project. I thank you for taking time to listen to another story uh, about veteran suicide. This week brings us an Army and Navy veteran named Chad Reynolds. Chad is a volunteer and works with Team Rubicon, which is an organization that uh, does national... Uh, natural disaster response uh, here in the U.S. and uh, globally. I've been a, I'm a huge advocate for Team Rubicon. You've, I'm sure you've heard me mention them many times. I believe they they provide that sense of purpose that so many veterans are looking for when they get out of the military. So we're going to hear from Chad regarding uh, his time in the service, his time with the Veteran Affairs, uh, how he found Team Rubicon his uh, path through suicidal behavior and where he is now. So take a listen uh, to Chad's story and, and see what we can take away from this. Well, from the time I was real young, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a Marine, actually. And uh, when I took my ASVAB, the, uh, <laughs> the Marine recruiter that I went to see, I did pretty good on the ASVAB and he wouldn't let me join. He said, we're not going to take any smart-ass people in my Marine Corps. <laughs> um, I was like, well, I really want to be a Marine, sir. And he said, uh, sorry. Um, go join the Navy or somewhere. <laughs> go join the Navy. Yeah. So basically that's what I did. But from the time I was real little, um, I always wanted to be in the military. And my dream was kind of screwed up, I guess, but was to die for my country. And uh, I don't know where the desire came from. I don't know where any of it, because none of my family was really military. None of my family that I knew anyway. And so that was time, kind of my dream in life was to be in the military. So you, you specifically remember having um, this fantasy or this desire or this uh, you know, drive to actually die for your country. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was. I still don't know where that came from. I don't know if it was glamorized or something when I was younger in a movie, or I, I honestly don't remember. Do you know um, how? Do you remember? Like, just ask me how how early of an age do you remember first having that feeling? Probably about nine or ten. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I started decorating my room, everything marine I could find. When I was about nine or ten years old, um, I tried, I mean, I was doing everything I could do to get ready for boot camp even then. Uh, but that's kind of where my desire for the military started. Okay. And then uh, finally was able to join. I joined. Loved it. Um, 
got out for a brief, real brief stint and, uh, was like, no, this ain't for me. Um, went right back in. Well, during that time, um, I got hurt, um, while serving and they decided to med board me out. What kind of injury was it? Um, I was actually, um, well, both of my knees have been operated on, um, and I'll leave it there Okay. with that part, um, for different reasons. Um, but, um, when I, when I hurt my knee, my, when my left knee, I hurt and then I had surgery and they fixed it and everything. And then when I, when, when the, the right one got injured, they said no more. Um, no longer, um, I was a flight medic plus combat medic and they said, no more will you be able to fly with that injury and no more can you be a combat medic. And I said, well, what can I do? And basically my, uh, NCO told me, well, military's pretty much done with you. Um, we're going to med board you out. So I kind of got screwed over that way because they, Back then, um, there wasn't a whole lot of education as far as the VA and the benefits and things like that. And I, I mean, I was still young, so I didn't understand. I mean, I'd been in the military my whole adult life. Yeah. So everything they told me to do, I did. Um, so when they said they was putting me out, I was like, okay, I didn't know I could fight it. I ended up getting put out with like 20%. Didn't know that they were supposed to retire me or anything like that, but. It's that's kind of when it started was back in 2000, I think it was 2002 when they told me they was pretty much done with me. I started going into kind of an oppressive state. Um, so when they, when they, you know, when they told you we're pretty much done with you, did you, did you feel, and, and I'm asking this because we've seen this from other veterans did you feel a sense of betrayal? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, I, all I'd ever wanted to do was serve my country. And I, that may sound lame, but that's really and truly how I felt and how I still feel today. That there's something in me that's got to give back. Um, and it's, I, I don't know, It's that's what I wanted to do. I didn't care. I I mean, I never used my education benefits. I never used any of that because all I ever wanted to do was to be in the military just to serve my country and to die for my country to feel like I was worth something, basically. Um, so when I when they put me out, that's when I started just kind of not caring anymore. Um, How old are you at this point? Shoot, that was 2002. So I was in my, I guess I was still in my 20s. Okay. Um, cause I'm 42 now. Yeah. So married, um, had a kid. I had two kids, one from my previous wife that I had met while in the military. Then I divorced and then, um, married again, had another child while I was deployed. And I, I think, I don't know if I'd had my third child yet or not, but um, started my own business for a little while. Thought that's where the answer was. Maybe I just worked for myself and that wasn't kick, that wasn't cutting it. So went to work at the VA 
and thought, well, what better way to give back than to help the vets coming back? I wasn't getting up every morning, putting on a uniform and going out and if you know what I mean. Yep. Didn't, uh, didn't quite, wasn't the same fulfillment. No, there was, well, it didn't feel like there was any. Okay. Because then I started seeing how the veterans were treated and, and it just, it just really made me worse. What role did you have with them? I started off as a scrub tech and, um, then I went into management after that and was in VA management for almost 10 years. Okay. Uh, and then, um, during that time, I, I was one of the guys that didn't believe in PTSD, didn't believe in all of that stuff. I thought it was just weak minded people. And, uh, I was working in the mental health department. I was the, uh, one of the administrative guys there in the main office, supervising some of the employees and managing accounts and things like that. And, uh, didn't believe in PTSD at all. And had a, had a rough night one night and woke up pretty screwed up. And my wife was like, well, if you, it, it kind of, if you don't go see somebody, I'm going to, I'm going to leave you. So I finally talked to one of the doctors there and he diagnosed me. Did, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but, um, sure. d- was, how did that, how did that ultimatum sit with you? Did you, um, when she said it, did like, did you, did you resonate with what she said right away and then understanding where her position was or, no. uh, did you, or did you feel like resentment towards the fact that she was giving you an ultimatum? Well, I, there was a lot of resentment there. Okay. Um, because I didn't understand that, I mean, I didn't understand that I wasn't the same person. So you hadn't seen it yet. You hadn't, you hadn't realized it for yourself yet then. Mm -mm. Okay. No. And I went to see the doctor and I was just doing it basically just to say that I did it. Right. And then when he, of course, being in the medical field and everything, I knew how to read a chart and knew how to read a record and what all the acronyms and scores and all that meant when I looked at mine I just I was like nah bullshit that's not true right and um so I didn't get on any meds or anything like that but I just continually got worse and uh finally one night after another bad night in bed and I woke up pretty violent and uh were you having night terrors oh yeah okay And, um, my wife finally got me awake and I I had my hands around her throat. And then I knew for sure that there was something wrong. Um, so I went ahead and went back to the doctor and he prescribed me. And from that time on to a little bit of time, they tested out meds and different things and, but whether it was meds or not, I still just wasn't, I wasn't myself because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the military and, um, I had friends killed and I, I just, the survivor's guilt was there and just in a bad place. Well, some issues happened there at the VA. My wife worked there. I worked there and. One of, well, her supervisor, her doctor that she worked with, 
ended up hitting her for something. I mean, I, I don't remember exactly what it was. It wasn't anything where he punched her in the face or anything like that, but he put his hands on her, basically. And that's just, in my opinion, not cool. Well, I found out about it, pretty much lost it, did my best to put him in the hospital. Uh, so needless to say, I couldn't work at the VA anymore either. Um, they decided to get rid of me there and ended up retiring me for um, a PTSD disability, which I didn't agree with either there, but I didn't have a choice. So I'd lost the military, then I'd lost my job that kept me a little bit closer to people that I could relate to. And I was sitting at home and uh, doing nothing but drinking, really. Um, I, I didn't talk to my kids. I didn't want to have anything to do with my kids. I didn't. I wasn't interested in my wife at all, in any sense of the word. Um, the only reason, I guess, I I never really thought about suicide at first, because. I mean, just my upbringing, that was wrong. Yeah. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Um, and, and I come from a very strong church background. And um, it, it, I mean, it was bred into me that you're going to go to hell if you do that. That's murder, and yeah. you, just, you just can't do it. So I, I, I didn't think about it at first, but after probably about six months of not eating, not doing anything except just drinking and just being depressed all the time. And my, my kids didn't want to be around me. They was always wanting to be gone or wanting me to be gone. Or my wife would come home long enough to pick up the kids and leave and go somewhere and come back after I was passed out. Um, it just got to the point that, you know what, I can do this. And I'd heard that, well, People with PTSD, they can they can do it, and their family still gets the money from their life insurance and stuff. So I got to the point that it would just my oldest son was grown pretty much, and he'd be going to college soon, and that would be paid for, and then the rest of my other two kids would be provided for, and I was worth a whole lot more dead than I was alive. How uh? How far past your separation from the military is this? The ideations probably started right after the military, just gleading thoughts of it. I mean, just kind of depressed about it and everything mm -hmm. that the military had forsaken me after I'd given them my life. But the, the real suicide thoughts to go through with it was probably right at... Um, ten years. Ten years later. So you're, um, so you're you're thinking about suicide almost from a, um, uh, what's almost from like a strategic standpoint at the, at, at this point, and the yeah. fact that you know you you don't see value in your life anymore, uh, and you're you see how, uh, or you know you you. 
you see how you believe, uh, you know, your family could benefit from, uh, from your death through, um, benefits and life insurance and stuff and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I still had my benefits through the military and everything. So I was like, well, screw it, man. The military is going to take care of me, whether they like it or not, they'll take care of my family. Yeah. And, um, so it was kind of a, in my mind, it was kind of, I was kind of messed up in the way that I thought I was going to take care of my family and get back to the military and the government at the same time. Um, just, I don't know. So it, did you, was there ever an attempt? I, I don't know that there was an actual attempt. Okay. I, I did. Uh, there, there was one time with my rifle. I did actually, I had it, I had it to my chin and it was jacked and everything. And then when my wife walked in the room, I, I pulled it aside and I shot the roof, but I don't know if you'd call that an attempt. Um, because it was a basically, I failed because she walked in the room and then, and after that, I kind of just didn't, I thought about it all the time, but I never really wanted to go through it because it scared the crap out of me. Um, and it was probably, it's interesting how that works, right? I, yeah. I don't, I don't mean the, I don't mean to sort of like mock at it, but I've had the, I've had, you know, I've had hundreds of these conversations and this comes up often with, uh, with suicide attempts. Uh, you know, Andrew O'Brien and I talked about how like, you know, when thinking about suicide, you start th- you like you think of ways to kill yourself. Like, oh, that sounds like it hurts. I'm not doing that. And like, you know, and it's, yeah. it's it's interesting how you you fear the experience of of physically killing yourself, even though that's what you believe that you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was your what was your wife's response to that when she walked in, her and heard the gunfire right next to your head? Um. I really, I really don't. Um, I know she's pissed. Um, she's pretty pissed off. And ever since I've been diagnosed, she's well, she's got better lately. But it was always you're fucking crazy. I don't want to be around you. Every time she get mad, you're a psycho. The military screwed you up. I don't want to be around you anymore. And that's kind of the response she had then. And I mean, that's not very helpful for someone, but. Yeah. I just always tried to do better after that. But I couldn't get I couldn't get past it. Um probably it's probably six months after that that I actually was gonna put the gun to my head again. And uh, I mean I was done. And uh, completely I was like I have said before, I was getting online to basically tell my son bye. Um, because that's all the contact I had with him at the time was just through texting and Facebook and stuff and I'm, I was done. Um, so, I've loaded. Go ahead. I'll say, well, um, you know, so what's, uh, you know, what's the turning, the turning point is your discovery of Team Rubicon, right? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, um, you know, I've, I've preached it on this show. I've, I mentioned Team Rubicon in all of my presentations. Um, I'm extremely fortunate to, to know Jake Wood and, 
you know, Willie McNulty is going to be on another one of my programs soon. I'm a huge, huge supporter of Team Rubicon, and, um, you know, the I want to get your story, um, which, you know, which you've uh, been gracious enough to give us, and now I want to hear the turning point of Team Rubicon because renewed purpose is such a big deal in emotional health. And I know that this is what Team Rubicon offers veterans and other volunteers. So I want to hear about your discovery of Team Rubicon and what experience uh, you went through in that turning point. Okay. Well, when I was online, I mean, like you, if you've seen the thing on with the HBO thing, I, I I seen that little this little blurb or something on the side screen of the Facebook that said. It just said Team Rubicon um, Veterans Disasters. And I'd been a part of the EMERT team with the VA, which is the Emergency Medical Response Team. And I'd also worked some as a police officer during Katrina. So it, the the disaster response caught my eye. And then the veterans in front of it really caught my eye. And I, I just thought, well, let me look at it. And um, so I did. And I filled out part of it. I didn't fill out the whole, uh, the whole application process. And, uh, and it, it gave me a sense of purpose for a minute. Um, and I thought, you know, I'd really like to see what's going on with that. So I got online, I looked it up a little bit. And by that time, my wife had got home and everything. So, I mean, I wasn't thinking about suicide particularly while they were home because I didn't ever want to do it while they were around. Yeah. And, um, but it was still in the back of my head and I was just kind of wanting to see what this was about. Well, it's like a day after maybe two days that I got a phone call from, uh, our membership manager, manager in region six. And he said, Hey, um, we've got a deployment to the hurricane. There's a hurricane fixing to hit Louisiana. Would you be interested in going? And I was like, well, Yeah. Um, so it kind of went from there and I went down to the, on the deployment and it was a very, it was a different deployment than what I've ever been on. And I've been on several with team Rubicon now, but the first one was they, they were having the national leadership conference during that time period. And, um, it was during hurricane Isaac and they, uh, so all of us that were there were basically brand new. We had never, none of us had ever been on a deployment with Team Rubicon before. And we all show up and it's kind of like, hey, how are you? What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. And what's this like? What do I need to expect? How do we do it? And there's, everybody was like, uh, we don't know. We've never done this before. So, just, it was, <laughs> I'm, like, it, I'm just laughing because I just I just picture y'all standing around like oh well now we do. <laughs> and, and it was and there was experience because a couple of the guys had been on had been on search and rescue teams before, and of course I'd been on a, a emergency medical response team before, and we're there and the equipment we have is what I would call boat anchors basically with the chainsaws that we had <laughs> useless. And I was raised around them. So I was like, well, what in the hell is this? How am I supposed to cut a tree with this? But, um, we just sucked it up and it was, 
just kind of like being back in the military where you're put out in the middle of the field like we had been at times and said, okay, here's your mission, go do it, with nothing other than what you had in your hands. And so it 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 gave me a renewed purpose because it was like, all right, you guys are out here. You don't have a clue as what you're doing, but you're going to lead this stuff. You're going to make it happen, and you're going to do a good job with it. And you really don't have any orders except take the hill. And you took so, the hill. So we, yeah, we took the hill. And that's kind of being back in, in a, in an environment to where you have to depend on one another. I mean, having each other's back, um, your buddy in the foxhole kind of thing. It's, it's, it's as close to the military as what I found. I, I tried being a police officer. That was a joke. Um, tried working at the VA. That was an even a bigger joke. Just tried all kinds of other things to get back that sense of purpose and that sense of belonging to where I could belong to something and still be able to be productive and to give back in the way that I felt like I needed to, which, I mean, it goes kind of from going out and taking lives to saving lives. Yeah. Um, and ever since that mission, I've been on several, and every time I go out, I meet someone new, um, and it doesn't matter that I've never met them before. It's the same mud, same blood kind of deal. You're out here. You're working with me. You know where I'm from. I know where you're from. We can relate. We can talk to each other where I can't talk to a lot of my friends on the outside or I can't talk to my wife or my family about a, a lot of things that I've been through and I've seen and I've done. But with these guys, they've been there. They've seen it. They've done it. So we can talk and we can talk freely and not fear that we're being judged by someone else or they think we're crazy or psycho or we're going to go kill somebody because we're all the same. We're all the same person. Yeah. If, if that sounds right. Um, it's. So I, I, I want to ask you um, about just briefly what, so a lot of veterans pursue a job in law enforcement because they think it's where they're qualified. Right. Uh, I think this is one, this is where we're falling uh, I want to say falling short. Uh, this is where we're misfiring, I think, on veteran transition is we're encouraging veterans to go into jobs that they're qualified for, not necessarily ones that they're going to enjoy. And, right. and law enforcement is at, is like at the head, like security contracting and then law enforcement. Um, right. What weren't you getting? You said it was a joke. Like how, what weren't you getting from it? Well, one, just the, the the laws the rules the it it was it's totally different um your ROE is different um there's there's more laws that protect the criminals than protect the law enforcement you can't you can't be what you were in the military yeah you carry a weapon yeah you wear a uniform but there's so much other that you have to deal with the political garbage and it's 
and it, it wasn't healthy for someone like me to be walking around with a gun yeah. and a badge. Yeah. And I had to realize that. Um, and I, and there's a lot of my friends that are doing that now. And I've talked to them and I've told them, I said, guys, I know you, this isn't healthy for the people you come in contact with. We're not, what we've done doesn't design us to be peace officers. We're not, it's not, I mean, we were trained a different way, if that's making any sense. No, absolutely. I think, uh, I, I think anybody, uh, anybody listening is nodding their head because that, that does make sense. Um, something um, to get back to Team Rubicon and your your deployments with them and, and the service that you found through them, I think, and, and tell me tell me if this sound, sounds right, one thing I think that doesn't get mentioned enough when it comes when it comes to what we're missing from our military experience is having someone depend on us. That's it's um it's it's sort of one of the smaller pieces to that sense of purpose and that sense of service that I think veterans have a harder time finding in the civilian world because even if you like have a purpose, if you don't feel that immediate dependence from someone else, I think it's hard to keep yourself accountable for uh for whatever that that task is does that make does that sound right yeah it it does and kind of with that with that um with with that thought i experienced something in in the law enforcement arena that i never experienced in in the military i was on a call well i was actually not on a call I heard a call go out over the radio over an, with an officer in distress. And I was probably 20 miles away. But I never heard anyone come back and say they were, were responding. Huh. And so when I respond to this, when I get there, the officer's on the ground and the, the subject has an axe about to hit him with the axe. And it took me a good 25 minutes or more to get there. And what I seen was there's no loyalty. And, and, and that's not every department, I'm right. sure. But it was, I have a personal, I have personal hard feelings against this person, so I'm not going to support them. And in the military, the brotherhood that we had was, by God, we've got your back no matter what. And it, it was just, it was kind of a eye-opening experience that, yeah, they had been, they had been trained, I guess. They went to the academy, but it wasn't like, it wasn't, there wasn't a brotherhood there like I experienced in the military. Yeah. And, and there was a brotherhood to an extent, um, and and I don't want to take that away from the law enforcement area because I, I, I believe in them, but it just wasn't what I had experienced with the military, and it wasn't what I had experienced with the guys that I'd served with that I would actually leave someone out there to be killed just because I didn't like them and just happened that I responded to the call, and I wasn't even part of that department. I was with a different department. I just heard it come over the radio. And, and that was just something that 
it didn't live up to my thought of a brotherhood or my belief in having someone's back or serving each other. So it was in, it's interesting that you brought that up a little bit. It, it just didn't serve the purpose. And like I said, it just wasn't a healthy environment yeah. for me um, and the things that I deal with. So uh, to be trained the way we are a lot of times and then to be in some of the situations that we're in as a cop, you're supposed to be as lenient as you can for as long as you can where we're, we tend not to be that way. So Chatter, have you, have you experienced any suicidal behavior since that first deployment with team Rubicon? Wow. And, and, and and I think it, um, thinking about it, I mean, I still think about it. Um, I never feel the urge to act upon it. I never contemplate it. Um, some, I mean, the, um, my own suicide is still something that comes into my wheelhouse every one, every now and then, but it's not like dangerous. It's not, um, something that's ever leading right. me, leading me into a wrong path. So, you know, if you, I mean, think, thinking about your own suicide is a little bit different than contemplating your own suicide, Correct. you know? So, um, you know, I guess I'm wondering, did you ever contemplate, did you ever ponder it? Did you ever experience any sort of dangerous behavior, uh, either mentally or emotionally after that first, uh, deployment? More along the, uh, more along the lines of ideation. Okay. Um, yes, I will have to say I have. Um, and it was, we won't get into the issues as to why, but yeah, there there was that time. But it it comes around to I was able to pick up the phone and talk with someone where before I didn't think that I had that, and that's another thing that Team Rubicon has given me that I had a friend, I had a brother that I could pick up the phone and I could say, "Hey, hey, bro." I'm dealing with something here and I, I don't know what to do. So you're, 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 uh, you've been more, um, more ready to, um, respond and recover. Yes. Um, we, we've got a new program with NTR called assist that we're using. And I, I, I don't know that this person has been trained in that, but it was the relationships that I have built within team Rubicon was with a lot of the people. I trust them. I'm back to the point to where I have a family again outside of my family. Team Rubicon and we consider ourselves a family. And no matter what we go through or what we think of each other, when it comes down to it, what I've experienced is we have each other's back. And I was able to call and I actually talked with William and, and was like, dude, this is where I'm at. And he, he was like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. We, we can't be having that. We we're past that point, remember? And it's just the relationships that I have, that I have gotten from Team Rubicon and, and the sense of, sense that I belong again. I'm, I'm back in uniform. Yeah. It's not a military uniform, but it's that, it's that Team Rubicon t-shirt or it's that, Team Rubicon tattoo or whatever it is, I'm I'm back where I belong, and and I want everyone 
that goes through those kind of things to know that we're here and that we're here to help. And they've helped me not just once, but twice now. And I mean, I mean, Will just dropped what he was doing and was like, Hey man, let's talk. Yeah. And, and really, honestly, I didn't think I'd get a hold of him because he's always busy. Um, but he, he was like, Whoa, wait, let's talk about this. And so it, it's just, the relationships and and the camaraderie that has been built through TR, um, through being out there working with each other, crying with each other, talking with each other, and, and we try to make it, you can be as open as you want to be, or you can be as closed as you want to be. We don't pressure you either way. And from that, I've learned that I can open up. I open up more to my friends and my brothers and sisters within TR than I do my doctor. Um, that says something. My, my doctor, even he'll tell you, he'll, he'll be like, he's told me, he said, man, I can tell when you've been on a mission and when you haven't. He said, he, he actually diagnosed or he prescribed TR to me after he had knew that I'd been in it. He's like, dude, you got to keep doing it. You, you got to keep doing this. This has turned you around so much to the point that he even sends me people to uh, talk to about joining um, from the VA. He's like, Hey, go talk to Chad. He's got something you might want to be, you might be interested in. It's really helped him a lot. And I can't, uh, I will plug TR. I don't care. You can plug uh, TR. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's 30% of the, the reason why I have you on the show. We'll, we'll give it all 30%, maybe 25. Yeah. Um, I, you know, your, your story is, is, is obviously, um, the most crucial part, but as an advocate for Team Rubicon myself, I want you to plug TR. Yeah, they, without them to this day, even though I get pissed off at them and I hope they're listening, um, I, and I do, I, I love Jake and Will to death. I love all everyone up there. And yeah, I get pissed at them on a regular basis and I know they do me. Um, they've made the joke that sometimes I'm the bane of their existence, but, uh, <laughs> it's, they're, honestly, they're the greatest thing I know to help. Um, so, I, I, go ahead. Okay. Well, so, so let's, um, let's wrap up then with the decision to, to make the video, um, that, that everybody saw during the concert for Valor, you know, <laughs> you know, what, uh, did they approach you and, you know, what was that experience like? And then lastly, sort of, you know, how did you feel after it was done? Well, honestly, I was kind of blindsided by that. Um, that's what gets me in trouble a lot of times because I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> I, I got a phone call from Kirk West, who's our media director out there in L.A. He said, hey, Chad, we've got um, we've got HBO wants to do a plug on Team Rubicon and we want you to be in it because you were the incident commander out there in Faulkner County, Arkansas for the tornado. That was our biggest disaster this year. So we want you to kind of show them around and um, what we do and how we do and all that. And I was like, sure. Okay. Um, didn't really know that I was going to be on national television. Um, Cause I'm not somebody that really, like I said, I don't like to talk a lot and, Team Rubicon is, it's not about me. It's about our volunteers. Um, and I thought there were so many other volunteers out there that should be 
scene for what they do for TR. And the whole story about the suicide, I, wow. It, I didn't know that it was actually going to be aired completely like hmm. that. Because I, I was sitting there at the concert with Jake and Will and a couple more people, and when that came on, Will was like, dude, that's such an awesome story. And I was like, I was kind of, I won't say the words I said, um, but I was like, whoa, dude, I, I was not completely clear that that was going to be shown. Huh. Because I, I'm not a real open person. Yeah. I, I don't share a lot. Um, I, I've shared that story with a couple of people within TR, Will and Jake being two of a very, very few. But since then, it's from the response that I got from the people there at the concert after that, I kind of felt selfish for not telling it because so many people were like, you know, that really helped. And I, I asked myself the question, if that helps people and you're about helping people, why don't you share that? So it was kind of a surprise. I wasn't really expecting the story to be aired like that. Um, if they would have said, okay, we're going to do this, and if they would have showed me the video before they aired it, I would have said no, honestly. Um, but since it has come out, and so many of people that I never even knew that seen it, that sees me on the street and recognizes me and said, oh, my God, you don't know how much that helped me. I, I don't have, I don't have the uh, reluctance so much anymore. To, because that's what we're supposed to be about. That's what TR is supposed to be about is helping people. And since I've attended the assist class and I'm an instructor for it now, it's uh, whatever I can do to save someone's life is what I want to do. So it's, it was kind of a, it was, I don't know that uh, Jake and Kirk knew that it was going to be that way. I, I don't know exactly. I hadn't really talked to him about it, but I thought, it was just going to be to show the guys around the disaster and show them what TR does and how TR is. And then it, that they asked me what TR had done for me. And I told them and it, it was, it was kind of a shock, but at the same time, I'm glad now that it happened. Um, not for my, for anybody knowing who I am or anything like that, I could care less, but if there's any way that I can help anyone that's going through something like I was going through, I want to, um, be able to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chad, I really thank you, uh, for, for opening up again and, and sharing your story with my audience and the power of team Rubicon and, um, you know, what all those experience, uh, experiences have, uh, have done for you. And, uh, is there, is there anything that you want to, anything that you want to wrap up on anything that hasn't been mentioned that you feel like needs to be said? No, not at all. Um, I just appreciate, um, you taking the time and allowing me to try to help. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, I know that this, uh, this will help someone because every, every week I get at least one message from someone saying, Hey, I just discovered your podcast. And, uh, it's, it's amazing. You know, I never, I didn't know other people thought that way. Um, yeah. and that's, and it's, it's, it's alarming how often I get that message that I didn't know other people thought this way, or I thought I was the only one, or you know something along those lines. So, um, yeah. and I and I've I've pledged that as long as people are willing to share their stories, I'll continue doing this podcast. So, thank you yeah, for sharing your story. 
not a problem. And it took me a while to even respond back to you, as you realize. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was still squirrely about it, but m I talked with my wife, and my wife said, hey, it's helping people. And yeah. this, this guy, she watched some of your podcasts or listened to some of them, and I did as well. And she said, Chad, you got to do it. So she's become very supportive of me and of TR, and she said, hey, do it. And so just really appreciate you allowing me to do so. Wow. What uh, a story from Chad Reynolds and uh I just so appreciate his willingness to come forward and share his story. He admitted that it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't uh, an easy decision for him to make, but knows that this is, uh, you know, beneficial for himself to, uh, to get it out there. And also he knows that it's going to benefit, you know, the audience and the other veterans that are listening to this podcast and that can understand that uh, they're not alone in, in suicidal behavior. They're not alone in uh, that that betrayal that they feel from the military when they get discharged before uh, before they feel like their time is up. And I just feel like there's so many people that can resonate with, with Chad and, and what he went through. Of course, we mentioned Team Rubicon plenty in times. I can't emphasize it enough, my support for that organization. Uh, you know, I've, I've got an opportunity to meet Jake. I, uh, I have a I recently did an interview with William McNulty, and it's just, uh, you know, they're great guys. I know plenty of other people in the organization, and I'm just super impressed with everything that they're doing. So uh, if you have not got an opportunity to check out Team Rubicon and everything that they do, go to TeamRubiconUSA.org. Uh, to check, you know, to get more information on them, you can f you can see what they're doing. You can volunteer. There's so many different ways for you to get involved. So, uh, please take time to do that. Thank you again for listening. BlogTalkRadio.com/slash/VeteranSuicide uh, is is our main hosting platform. So if you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, that's the place to go to listen to the show. And of course. One too many project.com, O-N-E, the number two, manyproject.com is the main site for everything. Every show is up there, uh, and you can, uh, you can click on ask to ask a question, uh, for me to answer regarding suicidal behavior, mental and emotional health, and other things inside the veteran space. Thanks again. I'll see you tomorrow with my momentary reflections.